I'm Tisha Bader, and as we continue to cover the situation in Israel since the October 7th massacre committed by terror group Hamas, we turn to JBS's own Shahar Azani, who is in Israel this week, to give us a sense of what he is seeing and hearing and feeling on the ground since the horrific atrocities. Shahar, we're so fortunate to be able to speak with you. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm so happy to join you, Tisha, and all of our all of you, our JBS viewers. It's good to be with you from Israel. Shahar, we've heard from people over the last two months saying Israel is not the same. This is not the same Israel as before October the 7th. It is a different Israel after October the 7th. And this is your first visit back. So I wanted to just ask if that rings true for you. You know, first of all, it it very much does, Tisha. The, the first sense that you get um, when you arrive in Israel, when you arrive in Tel Aviv, where I am now, is that sense of, you know, eerie quiet that surrounds you that is not very customary for Tel Aviv at around 8 p.m., you know, 9 p.m. Uh, we're all used to the hustle and bustle of Tel Aviv being what it is. And you understand that the reality has changed. Um, there is, there is a sense of, there is a sense of sadness um, in light of the situation that Israel is facing, having to go through the horrendous atrocities um, in the south of Israel by Hamas terrorists, and then the the war that's raging against Hamas, and the fact that we are at a very, you know, very humble moment you know a lot of people feel a burden of guilt um because of what happened rage anger a frustration at international response um you can definitely sense it in the air but israelis are israelis you know they're filled with with the desire for life this has always been israel's secret sauce so you would see people you know go out and they'll sit at restaurants but they'll make sure to know where the safe room is and how far the nearest shelter is and what happens when you're stuck in traffic and something goes wrong but it's definitely a a a different israel in one of its most somber moments shahar you said guilt do you mean guilt being felt by those who survived the atrocities, or what are you talking about there? You know, when I say guilt, I'll talk to you about ordinary Israelis, you know, okay. of different ages who who feel guilty, who feel that somehow we should all have played a part in making sure that that would never happen, because we've always grown up on the notion of never again. And here we are talking about the situation where you know, grandmothers had to hide their grandchildren, where couples had to run for their lives, you know, just to make sure they survive and their kids survive them. Or a young boy who celebrated his bar mitzvah a couple of days ago um, because he went on a morning jog on Saturday morning when the Kozaks, sorry, the Hamas terrorists entered his home and butchered his mother, his father and his two sisters. So these are realities that nobody is has been accustomed to. Definitely not, you know, in Israel. Not that you can ever. And um, when when you think about the foundation of Israel, you know, the the safety for Jews everywhere and for the Jewish people and the Jewish state. So that sense of what could our generation have done better? How could we have failed so miserably in a way that? exposed over 1,200 innocent souls to the kind of torment and torture and horrible death that they went through on that Saturday. So there is that there is that burden, and, and it's a whole mixture. You know, Tisha, I think that 
We haven't even begun to process the pain, the sorrow, the events that happened, because immediately when it happened, we entered into the high adrenaline situation of fighting for our very existence against this vile terrorist organization in Gaza. So we haven't had time to go through the pain, to go through the stories, to come to terms if there is any, any way at any point ever a way to come to terms with it. So that's what I mean. Um, there is such a, um, such a mixture of emotions out there. I sense it myself you know, being here, but to be honest, I'm sure as you do, and so many people who are even outside of Israel get those mix of emotions. No, it's completely understandable. I was speaking to Sheila Katz from the National Council of Jewish Women recently about the sexual violence perpetrated by Hamas during the atrocities. And, and she was saying, this is, we are all in trauma and not even having the privilege, let's say, of mourning our dead, because as you say, Israel's now at war. The hostages are, there are hostages still being held in Gaza. There's no, this is just, have, this has been extended. This has been extended terror, extended torture, and it's been ongoing now for over two months. It is truly unfathomable. And, you know, I can't imagine those who this has personally directly affected and we're all feeling it, though, to some degree, absolutely, as as one you're, with the people of Israel. You're, you're mentioning your interview with Sheila and the UN on the you know sexual brutality against the Israeli and Jewish women in the course of the attack. And I can tell you that it's very prominent here in the public discussions because people are very concerned with the young women who are held by Hamas and the kind of things they must be or hopefully not or maybe going through in that regard and it's being spoken about openly you know israelis we we've never been you know the victim it's it's not part of our mentality we're not used to you know feeling victimized or sharing stories of our victimization so the fact that it's happening now that all of these stories are coming out that the state of israel has officially sponsored you know some of those close screenings of the atrocities movie the 47 minute movie of the Hamas GoPros and other cameras from that day is a unique reality for Israelis. It's not part of our DNA to complain. And especially when it comes to these young, vulnerable women whose pain is not heard, um, who are being ignored by international organizations and by the United Nations, as if in this case, their their sexual, the sexual brutality imposed upon them is somehow justified by context. It's it's very troubling, very frustrating, very enraging. People are upset. They're visibly upset about this, uh, about so many things, but especially about this. Absolutely. The response from so many has been shocking, um, to say the least. And Shahar, I know you have a lot of family in Israel. I'm just wanting to ask you on a personal level how I'm I'm sure you know your decision to to go to Israel and to make this visit had to be also riddled with a lot of mixed emotion and with a lot of anxiety or just emotions that you know as some of which you you mentioned just now I'm just wondering what it was like leading up to it and now arriving and and being in Israel what it's been like for you personally if you want to share a little bit yeah absolutely you know I really wanted to be here it was important for me to be here we live and we breathe Israel and we felt through the pain we sat uh, glued to the tv screens on that hour friday night israel saturday morning 
um, to witness what was happening, already hearing murmurs of a massacre. You know, we're unfortunately terrorist attacks are nothing new to Israel. We know what Hamas is. We've seen it play its part, its horrendous part on on the Israeli public sphere too many times in the past. But then the numbers started to kick in, and for me. To be able to be here and get a real sense on the ground of what is the public sentiment within Israel, not just the government or the official spokespeople whom we see on the screens every once in a while, but the people themselves, what's the mood on the street? And one of the things that um, have really impacted me, Tisha, was a visit that we took to uh, Kibbutz Be'eri. Kibbutz Be'eri was ground zero of the October 7th massacre. We visited the kibbutz. You know, we we went through the different houses. We could hear the artillery. We could see the smoke billowing over Gaza. We could see the IDF vehicles coming in and out, um, choppers in the air, and then the guns, the guns blazing every few minutes, um, retaliating against, you know, Hamas attacks in Gaza who are attacking IDF soldiers coming in to, to fight them. And then, and then you see this beautiful place, Tisha. Kibbutz Be'eri is absolutely gorgeous. You see the beautiful greeneries and the flowers, the butterflies and the chirping of the birds, all amidst the, the burnt houses, the signs, you know, sprayed on the walls in Arabic, say, you know, Kataib Ezadin al-Qassam, the, the terrorist gang of Ezadin al-Qassam of Hamas. And, and you see this, you know, this poem book, burnt on the floor, remnants of life. Um, and, and the person who took us through this horrendous experience shared, you know, the stories of the different families, you know, who lived there and what they went through and how their life was ended in such a cruel way, all while the birds were still chirping and the butterflies were still moving about. And all you can think about, Tisha, is if we could move the hands of time just a little bit backwards and this entire place, this beautiful, idyllic place that we are at was a war zone. And one of the, one of the most atrocious things we learned, really, truly a sense of betrayal, Kibbutz Be'eri politically has always been on the more progressive side. Many, many Gazans have worked within the kibbutz. The kibbutz itself has um, a popular had a population of around 1,200 people. It's home to the very famous all over Israel printing um, house of Barry that does a lot of work. Um, it employed, you know, many workers who came in and out of Gaza. And apparently so many of these workers who've been part of the kibbutz Barry network for so many years, have fed information to Hamas. So they knew exactly where they were going to. They knew the names of the people who lived in the different houses. They knew their histories, how many of them have been in the army and in which rank, which houses had a dog. Um, they knew everything, Tisha. And they went with full intent and purpose, with horrendous testimonies, talking about willful executions, um, some of them even speaking in Hebrew, because many of these terrorists were working in Israel, and they were telling their victims in Hebrew before execution that their lives mean nothing, and they're doing it just for fun, and they're going to enjoy it before they executed parents who were shielding their teenage boys outside, you know, huddling from from the terrible from the terrible gunfights that were that were um, being waged. We even got to meet a young girl 
a young girl who spent many hours in the safe room with her mom and her dad and her brother, many hours, like the entire day, almost 12 hours, in which they were under continuous attack from the terrorists who were standing outside. And the mother was shot um, through the window when they started burning the house. And the young brother also was shot in the hand and lost a lot of blood and bled throughout the day, only lost his life at the end of the day in the evening when the attack started 6, 6.30 a.m. Israel time at around 8 p.m. His soul left the earth. And her father, her father lost legs um, in this battle and she was trying to save them. And she's barely 13, putting the tourniquet on, and being in touch with on the on the groups with other community members who were exposed to the atrocities. And and what do you do, Tisha, at that point when you meet that girl face to face, who is 13, who is visiting the kibbutz with a friend? She came to say hi. And what do you do? Do you ask her, How are you? How is that even answerable? And she looks at you and you can see that she's keeping a frozen face. I mean, she's okay. She has that, you know, very smile shy smile but you know that there is a a storm underneath those eyes and that it hasn't even begun to process and her father actually with the amputation and everything on the very day i visited kibbutz berry came back to the kibbutz to work and to get those avocados off the trees and the mangoes and when we met you know different people at the kibbutz they told me tisha one of the most memorable statements they looked at me and said, you know, Shahar, we are no refugees, nor are we victims. We have work to do and we will rebuild our community. And these are people who lost who lost family members in, in terrible ways, in gunfights and tortures and fires. And this is what they say as they look at you. And it's both a moment of great pain, but also of resilience and hope. You hear stories of incredible heroism where one Israeli was was fighting through and through, killing dozens of terrorists, preventing those monsters from advancing in the direction of whole neighborhoods within the kibbutz because of his bravery, even going through hours after a bullet, a bullet in his back went through him. And in spite of all of that, he continued to fight with the bullet inside of him until idea forces arrived hours later, at which point he was like, yeah, true, I, I have a bullet, I should go somewhere, but only if I have to, because I got work to do. I mean, these are stories, these are superhuman stories. Where do you even where do you even begin? One of the most touching moments for me was visiting the clinic, the infirmary at Barry, because one of the uh, victims was a paramedic, a young girl of 22 by the name of Amit Man. She loved, loved to sing. And she had a beautiful voice and the face of an angel. And she was tending to, you know, patients in the clinic when they attacked. And uh, we learned there that there was a perception that if she comes out wearing the uniform of Magen David Adom, that the, the terrorists will not kill her um, if she comes out with her hands raised. And as soon as she did that, they shot her and they killed her. And there was a beautiful rendition of a song of an Israeli group um, in which they included her singing of that song. So it's a duet with the voice mm -hmm. of the late Amit Man. And what do you do 
What do you, what can you do more than just break down in tears for the beautiful life lost for an incredible story that hasn't been told for a voice that was to break through to all of our hearts in years and years of, you know, of, of being part of our public life and was denied that opportunity by, by such evil deeds. So, and, and you get to be there on the ground and experience all that pain and feel the community as it's there. And it's both incredibly painful and unbelievably inspirational. We even got the chance to eat at the Berry dining room, which is usually reserved for kibbutz members. Um, so that was a privilege and we were told so. Um, uh, and it, it was terrific just to see those people rising from the literal ashes um, and, and, you know, rebuilding their communities. It is all so heartbreaking, Shachar. As you said, we're talking about 1,200 people, each of whom, as the Jewish religion tradition speaks of, is olam bimlo'o, is a world in and of itself, yes. and a member of a family and friends. So in a country that is so small, it is immeasurable the 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 impact of what happened on October the 7th is just immeasurable and affects everyone and um not to mention of course those who are still being held hostage and those who were released from captivity that as you said have gone through absolute horrors which we have now heard affirmed confirmed by medical personnel etc of what the hostages went through at the hands of Hamas you know, you're talking about the hostages, and I want to tell you, you know, share with you another fascinating meeting I had. Um, I got to meet with Margalit Moses, um, who um, is 78, who returned from captivity after, I believe, 49 days at the hands of Hamas without her oxygen, making it very difficult, almost impossible for her to sleep for 49 nights at the hand of Hamas. And when I met Margalit, she first gave me a big hug and was very touched by the passion and care that we all have, Tisha. And we do, you know, even from afar, vis-a-vis uh, -vis all of them. And then she said, come out with me to the garden and peel the mandarin and gave it to me. And it was wonderful, you know, to have it. I don't know what was better, just the, the fruit itself or having her present it to me. There was such, such sweetness and she was so composed. And all she focused on was her son um, and her her husband, her ex-husband, Gadi Moses, who is being held captive by Hamas as we speak for so many, so many nights, so many dark and long nights. And she spoke about how every day in captivity is like a, a week or more and how important it is to do our best to bring anybody we are able to bring back alive uh, from that terrible situation. But she was very determined. She wasn't wallowing in self-pity. She wasn't, she was strong, resilient. And she showed me a menorah, Tisha. She showed me an old menorah that she said is in her family for over six generations from Germany since before the Holocaust. And that menorah was used to light the Hanukkah candles and is being used now just before she kissed her granddaughter goodbye as she went on her reserve duty. And all you can do is just observe this incredible Israeli cycle of life. And again, be inspired by the resilience of the people of Israel and the Jewish people that in spite of going through such 
horrendous situations are able to exude such energy vis-a-vis -vis the world. You know, it's not about being a victim. It's about rebuilding. It's not about demanding the politicians to do what they're supposed to do, even when they don't. It's about rolling up your sleeves and getting things done. There is so much beauty and pain in seeing all of that. And when one of the most memorable sites after that, and you're talking about, you know, immeasurable, I got to see the parking, the parking lot where all of the burned cars and the damaged cars were brought from that Black Sabbath of October 7th. And Tisha, it's an ocean. You're standing there and you're looking at an ocean of cars, mangled, burnt, turned completely twisted, the metal, and all you can imagine is what people went through in those vehicles, in those moments. And there was actually an unprecedented decision by the chief rabbinate in Israel to bury some of these cars because they weren't able to take all of the remnants of life from them to bring them to burial. So some of these cars will actually be buried and be the gravesite for the people who perished. It's, it's, it's again, like you said, it's unheard of. It's, it's, it's unheard of. It is, it is beyond a nightmare is, is what I, the only thing I, I come to myself all the time is it's beyond anybody's worst imagination of what could be. But you did mention Hanukkah, Shachar, and the need to remind ourselves that the Jewish people have gone through horrible things in the past and have risen up and have maintained, as you said, this incredible resilience with the pain, with the pain. You, there's nothing to do. You can't wrap a bow around what happened. There is going to be pain and heartbreak for generations. And we'll never forget what happened. And at the same time, finding that way for this, I hope, a modern day miracle of continuing forward, getting all of the hostages home alive. And that that's all we can hope for, I think, at this at this moment is just to just to keep pushing for that, reminding people, don't let people forget, don't let the world forget what happened, and don't let the world forget about the over 100 men, women, children, including baby, a baby, still being held in Gaza. And, and you know, I want to I wanna really share some of those, you know, hopeful and inspirational moments when I went to the Dead Sea. And in the Dead Sea, I got to see the Bayeri community. So they took over a hotel, all of the surviving members, those who haven't been murdered or kidnapped. But th these tragedies touched all of their lives. And it was their community. And kids were running about. And the hotel staff went out of its way to make the stay there as pleasurable and as joyous as possible for all of these people tending to their needs, making changes in dining as per their desires, providing space in the general public space for therapy sessions and a nursery school and an art session. And, and it was beautiful to see as the place was bustling with life, threatening to burst out as they were sitting together, their leadership in a separate room, devising the plans. How do we move forward from here? When can we co go back to Be'eri? Who's going to go back? What's going to happen with the businesses? The kids were already going to school in En Gedi nearby, um, you know, whether it's elementary or high school. I also got to visit some of the IDF wounded soldiers. 
and Tel Shomer Hospital. What energy, Tisha, humbled by that energy. You know, you can see them telling their stories with pride, saying, we stood by the people in the state of Israel and Jewish people worldwide. We would never have it any other way. And the big question of these, some amputees, legs, hands, was when are we going back? When can we go back to the ranks of the IDF to do what we need to do? We have a whole life ahead of us. One of them told me, you know, I'm wounded. I may have, you know, issues, but I'm alive. I'm with my family. I get to achieve so much more. And I want to send a message, he says, to everybody who thinks of themselves as defective, who are unhappy with something about themselves, to know that there is nothing wrong with you. Enjoy life. Don't sink and wallow in sorrow, but seize the moment to enjoy that great gift that was given to us. And that energy was infectious. They all were making plans, having dreams, making tough choices. It's not easy, but they were surrounded with warmth and love of the people of Israel with visits, people who came with chocolates and donuts and gifts for Hanukkah and just to be with them and hear their stories and pay respects and encourage them on their journey. And what a moment, what a moment. It was, it fills you with, with a sense of vitality, of the strength of this people. What a strength, what a beautiful vision. And that is truly the sentiment that I, you know, finished my day with, that along with this terrible pain that will never be forgotten, there is so much hope for our people, so much pride in who we are. And I want everybody to get that sense as well. Shachar, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And I hope the rest of your time in Israel um, continues to be just as inspiring together with the heartbreak and the pain, which of course is there and is undeniable and not something that we can still fathom. But stay safe and stay strong. And we'll look forward to seeing you back here at JBS. Thank you and praying for the return of all of our hostages alive and for the triumph of the state of Israel over the terrorist forces that are threatening her. We Amen. will. Thank you. Amen. Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai.